Colin Kaepernick receives an award from Sports Illustrated. Uh, the NFL protest continues. There are still a lot of talks about the Confederate monuments and how exactly should Christians respond to issues like this. We're going to talk about that and more on this episode of The Urban Perspective. <laughs> This is the Urban Perspective. All right, Pastor Jerome here, and I'm grateful to be joined by FS1 sports commentator, also the president and founder of the King Movement, Chris Broussard. Chris, thank you for joining the Urban Perspective. Hey, man, it's great to be on with you. I've been watching you for a while, so uh, I'm honored to be on the show. Man, I'm honored you even know me, man. You know, <laughs> I did. You I never know, know who's watching. You yeah, you, you're right about watching. that. <laughs> right about that, man. So well, I'm grateful, man. Well, I, again, thank you for joining us for the Urban Perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as the King Movement? I think it's important for people to know about that. Yeah, um, man, uh, I'm, I've been a Christian now for 1989. On my birth, my 21st birthday, I actually became a Christian. So I guess I've been a Christian for 28 years plus. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm married with been married over 22 years uh have twin daughters in college uh one's at the university of pennsylvania one is at michigan um got saved my senior year at oberlin college wow uh obviously people may know i've been a journalist a sports writer for over almost 30 years now i've uh, been covering the nba for over 20 years was at ESPN for 12 years doing that. Um, now I'm at Fox Sports 1 and also on Fox Sports Radio. Um, as you mentioned, I founded uh, and, am the, and, and am the president of a national Christian men's organization called the King Movement, which stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, and Nurture Through God. And essentially, we want to help provide men with the uh, support encouragement accountability teaching and brotherhood that we all need to walk out our christian faith on a daily basis so a lot of christians uh unfortunately their their life their walks might be like a roller coaster up and down and up and down and we hope to help men be steady have a steady walk in christ so that you don't go out and do something that may ruin your marriage ruin your relationship with your kids ruin your reputation in the public square or, or whatever it may be, just harm yourself. So um, that's really what the King Movement is all about. And uh, yeah, man, that's, you know, I'm just glad to be on and uh, able to talk about these issues with you. Well, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate you joining us. And I'm excited about the King Movement. Also looking forward to working with you on that, man. I, I feel strongly about just seeing men uh, live out their faith, and then also seeing manly men uh, within yeah. the body of Christ. I think that's something that's definitely needed and doesn't get highlighted enough. 
Well, Chris, recently uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, received the Sports Illustrated Legacy Award, and a political pundit by the name of Kevin Jackson has some interesting things to say about their choice, and he uh, expressed his views and his disdain on Fox News, saying this, saying that they turned Muhammad Ali's Legacy Award into toilet paper. He said, look, uh, Muhammad, uh, I'm sorry, he said, look, my, uh, Kaepernick is no Ali, and the idea that the left continues to want to sell this lie to America, that this man stands for something that supposedly is happening in this country that's not, just shows that the left would never give up on this narrative. Now, I'm not uh, particularly aware of Colin Kaepernick's uh, religious views, but it's interesting to me uh, that uh, Fox News that presents themselves as fan balanced and tons of the uh, people, the on-air talent calls themselves believers. And the inference there is that sorry, police brutality does not exist. Um, and he says that he, he's making it a political issue, whereas I believe for us as Christians, uh, it's not the, the taking of someone's life is not a political issue, but rather it's an Imago Dei issue, the image of God. I mean, how would you respond to something like this? And how do you think Christians should respond when issues like this come up? Well, I, I think with all due respect to Kevin Jackson, he was way off. Um, I, I believe that Kevin Jackson, if he had been alive during the time of Muhammad Ali, he would have been anti-Muhammad Ali because anti-Muhammad Ali's stance was considered anti-American, you know, not going to Vietnam to fight for his country. Um, a lot of people, just like they're saying, and just like Kevin Jackson said about Colin Kaepernick, essentially saying, what are you complaining about? What's the problem? A lot of people were saying that about Muhammad Ali. Remember, that was a few years after the Voting Rights Act had passed. It was a few years after some civil rights legislation had passed, uh, essentially outlawing segregation. Um, and so a lot of people at that time thought, well, what are blacks complaining about? Like now things are, are better. You're not in slavery anymore. You're not in Jim Crow anymore. You got these new laws that were passed on your behalf. So I, I think a guy like a Kevin Jackson would have been killing uh, or criticizing Ali. I mean, killing symbolically, but criticizing Muhammad Ali, just like he's doing with Colin Kaepernick. When I think there are a lot of similarities. Uh, again, both stances were viewed as anti-American. Uh, both guys were standing up for very strong principles. Uh, Muhammad Ali was like, look, we're oppressed as African-Americans in America, and you want me to go fight another oppressed people in what he knew at that time was an unjust war, and the whole country essentially came to believe it was an unjust war uh, years later. Colin Kaepernick is ahead of, ahead of the pace, ahead of the mainstream, just like Ali was ahead of the mainstream, because clearly police brutality is taking place. For Kevin Jackson, to say that something's happening, that the left, and I'm not a left winger or a right winger. I'm a man that serves God. So I, I'm not beholden to either side. Um, but for him to say that the left is trying to make us think something's happening that's not, that is so disrespectful of the families of the victims whose lives were taken by police. Now, I'm not trying to paint all police with this broad brush Absolutely. and say they're all terrible and all bad. We have some great cops out there. But to deny that police brutality has taken place and still does take place 
when we have it on video, even if we didn't have it on video, we know that racial profiling has occurred in the African-American community throughout this nation's history. Um, and that studies have been done to show that and prove that. Um, with, with, but to Jesus said, because you brought up believers, Jesus said that if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them is goes astray, he'll leave the 99 to go get the one. He was showing how valuable even one life is. And in this case, a sheep, how much more valuable the life of one human being. And so if it's only happened to one, it's happening. And it's happened to much more than one. So for him to say something's not happening, tell that to Tamir Rice's mom. You know, tell that to the family of Eric Garner. Tell that to the family of Terrence Crutcher and on and on and on. Trayvon Martin, you know, who was racially profiled and killed because he was wearing, had the audacity to wear a hoodie. You know, so for Kevin Jackson, I mean, how can you say that when there are people to this day at this moment mourning the lives of their loved ones who were killed unjustly? It's very, very disrespectful, it's very inconsiderate, and it's very unchristian-like. For him to say what he said. Yeah, you know, it's interesting considering Michael Schlager was recently just sentenced to 19 years uh, for the killing of an unarmed black man shot him several times in the back. And had it not been for the cell phone video footage, uh, he yep. probably would have gotten off. In fact, uh, there was a juror who, uh, when they first went, <coughs> just simply said, I just can't convict a cop, even seeing it on camera. So it's clearly, uh, we clearly see that there's an issue. But you bring up something interesting with the biblical reference that you gave. And I've heard this argument, sadly, uh, from many evangelicals, uh, primarily white evangelicals, not all, uh, but many. And it's seen, here, here's the argument. Uh, you guys need to worry about yourself. <clears throat> Police brutality is a non-issue or a very small issue. And black-on-black -black crime is something that you need to pay attention to. Uh, how would you respond to someone who claims to be a Christian but say that our compassion should, should be based on the frequency of an injustice? <laughs> That's yeah, right, right. Well, look, I, I do think that uh, African-Americans, we do need to focus on a lot of the issues in our own community. Uh, black on black crime and the violence that goes on in, in inner city, predominantly African-American neighborhoods is a severe problem. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. We certainly have things we can work on, um, as does the white community and all communities. They also have things they need to work on because they're, <clears throat> they're very, <clears throat> excuse me, they're very dysfunctional as well. Um, so of course we need to focus on ourselves. But that doesn't mean you also can't focus on the injustice that takes place in the society as well. We are tax-paying citizens, okay? We are American citizens just as much as anyone else. So when injustice takes place, we should be able to speak about it and try to bring about justice and make it a better society. Jesus told us to pray. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. So as Christians, we're supposed to pray and then use the, the abilities and the intelligence and the gifts God's given us to try to bring, try to have it done on earth 
as it's done in heaven. So try right. to have it done in America as it's done in heaven. And what we've seen from policemen who are paid to protect and serve are killing or have killed and still are to some degree killing American citizens. Forget about them being black. These are American citizens being killed by police officers who are paid to protect and serve them. For us not to speak about, about that, I don't understand how you would expect that to be the case. Uh, Christians speak out against abortion. Christians spoke out against, you know, speak out against uh, terrorism from other countries. And so they speak out against about the social issues that they find unjust. We should speak out against all social issues that uh, are unjust. And, and for some biblical references, um, John the Baptist, when he came across Roman soldiers and they asked him, what do we need to do essentially to get right with God? And he said, do violence to no man. Now they're soldiers. He wasn't telling them don't go to war, don't protect the country. Uh, or he would have just said, stop being soldiers. You need to find a new job. <laughs> but he said, do violence to no man and accuse no man falsely. So he tied it together. You're doing violence to people and you're accusing people falsely. That's police brutality. Tamir Rice, a 12 year old playing with a toy gun was accused falsely and violence was done to him and that his life was taken. John Crawford in a Walmart with a toy gun was accused falsely and violence was done to him and his life was taken. So these things are scriptural. The Bible talks, I mean, there are over 2000 references in the Bible about helping the poor. There are less than 10 references in the Bible about homosexuality, yet Christians always want to talk about that. And I'm not, I, I've, I've had my public stand on that. People know where I stand. I have a biblical view on sexuality. So I'm not saying we shouldn't speak out about that, but to ignore the way the Bible speaks about justice. I'm reading the book of Amos right now. It is all about justice. Absolutely. It's about God being upset with the nation of Israel. In fact, it's very similar to today. The nation of Israel at that time, you, you know better than me, was very prosperous. It was, you know, things appeared to be going well, but they were oppressing the poor in their own country. And God was going to say, I'm going to judge you because of that. And so God is very concerned about the poor and about how we treat the downtrodden and um, how much compassion we have on them. So uh, Christians need to read the entire Bible and uh, really, you know, we there unfortunately in the public sphere, there seems to be the quote unquote, the Christian group that is all about personal salvation and individual responsibility when it comes to different morals, like, you know, traditional marriage and, and, and things like that, abortion. And then, but they ignore the social justice and other societal issues that are also biblical. And then on the other side, there are those Christians or so, that call themselves Christians who are all about the social justice and, you know, fighting for the poor and empowering the poor and all that, which is great. But then they ignore the basic moral principles that are clearly in the Bible as well regarding sexuality, family, and things like that. So my thing is, again, I'm not left wing. I'm not right wing. I think Christians need to be able to unite 
in uh, on a kingdom agenda one that yes promotes family values biblical sexuality but at the same time promotes empowering the poor and promotes you know uh, uh social justice and and police reform because again i just showed john the baptist was clearly against police brutality um so i'll say this last thing too you know there's the term pro-life uh, and obviously that's those are the groups that are against abortion i'm against abortion too Absolutely. um and but in many if you're really pro-life if you have a biblical definition of pro-life then you were just as upset about seeing a tamir rice or an eric garner or terrence crutcher any of these people who were shot down by police on our philando castile you're just as upset about those situations as you are about abortion because those were lives that were taken Absolutely. innocent lives that were taken anything that limits or diminishes human flourishing diminishes human beings ability to be an opportunity to become all that god has created them we as having a biblical definition of pro-life should be against that so a war on drugs that's unfairly focused all the surveys prove it's focused more on blacks and other people of color and poor whites who are in the ghettos and in the rural impoverished areas in the country it's not a war on drugs it's a war on people of color and poor whites because if it really was a war on drugs you'd be on the college campuses too you'd be right. in the corporations Absolutely. too you'd be in the suburbs too you know and so um a biblical definition of pro-life would look at all of that and so in reality what a lot of people who you know are against abortion but not against you know police brutality mass incarceration and things like that they're really not pro-life they're pro-birth mm. they're pro-birth you want mm. people born but if you're really pro-life then you're gonna want to make society as fair and equitable as you can especially a wealthy society like america you don't want to make it as fair and equitable and give everyone a chance economically and educationally um and in society to become what god has created them to be now that's great man that's profound i i, I love that distinction pro, pro birth versus pro-life this isn't anti-police and police yeah. are made in the image of God. And as Christians, we Amen. believe all, everyone is made in the image of God and deserves dignity, honor, and respect. And what we're saying, though, that even some of these guys were doing things that they shouldn't have done, that should not be a death sentence. It shouldn't be exactly. a death sentence, especially when you're unarmed and everyone should care. Additionally, I want to make it clear that uh, we're against police brutality in all forms, not only police brutality against black and brown people, but a police brutality against people in general, because as Amen. Christians, uh, we should come against any form of injustice. Earlier, you, you talked about just the, the Civil Rights Act and how a lot of that preceded uh, Muhammad Ali's protest. And what was interesting at that time was the silence of white evangelicals. That was one of the things that Dr. King called out uh, in his yeah. letter from a Birmingham jail, written on tons of napkins from a jail cell, where he just talked about, you know, they were telling him to wait, or they were talking about all these other issues. And rather than politicizing it, I think it's important that we actually see these are biblical issues. I, I always tell people the same, same scripture. 
Paul was a victim of police brutality in Acts chapter 16. Amen. He Amen. was a victim of it. The Bible <laughs> talks about the magistrates coming, and the magistrates in the Greek can translate as police, and they joined with the crowd in beating Paul. And Paul didn't just say it wasn't a gospel issue. Paul, and <laughs> once, they, once they found out that he had dual citizenship, they tried to release him silently, and Paul demanded an apology. He demanded, in point. other words, he wanted to acknowledge the injustice. And so here's the Apostle Paul, the one whom we reference so much. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. Uh, we reference him. But yet it's interesting the hermeneutical gymnastics some evangelicals mm. play when topics they're uncomfortable with get broached. And I think it's important that we don't run from it. And I appreciate your courage, man, just, just stepping up and, and talking about these things. I mean, people have turned it from... A uh, uh, protest against police brutality into uh, protesting the flag when it's not about the flag at all. That's just an opportunity for these athletes to sound the alarm and bring attention to the situation. That's that's the only reason they're protesting uh, the anthem because it will sound the alarm and and make people take notice. And and it has done that. I mean, it's not all that needs to be done but the nfl owners agreeing to pay 89 million dollars toward organizations fighting for criminal justice reform that's a step that's 89 million dollars that would not have been working toward criminal justice reform a year ago so even though that's been people have looked at that different ways that's a step in the right direction i wish that owners um and let's, let's face it, these owners, all of them are white and they're powerful and wealthy men. What you really need for stuff like this to gain real traction is for wealthy whites who have power to speak out about it. I would rather the NFL owners actually begin speaking out, begin using their connections to powerful people in Washington, D.C. and throughout this country to say, look, this has got to stop. <laughs> This police brutality has got to stop. This racial profiling has got to stop. We have got to begin training our officers better. Um, all There's tons of proof about racial profiling, broken windows, policing, where, you know, I mean, we, on my King, King movement, we have a podcast called King Talks. We had a New York City police sergeant. He still is on the force. He's a police sergeant, an African-American named Edwin Raymond, who is suing the NYPD himself for racial profiling, for having oh. quotas and pushing the, the police officers to go into the black and Hispanic neighborhoods and give us get a certain number of summons, certain number of tickets, certain number of arrests per month, whether people are doing something or not. And they know oh. you can you know stop and frisk or you can go question someone who's not doing anything and you can get them frustrated and riled up enough where eventually they will do something. They'll talk to you the wrong way. They'll say something, you know, the wrong thing. And then you can arrest them, you know. And so that type of stuff is happening. And there are police officers speaking out about it. So the protests, um, I, I support them. And uh, Christians need to look at this. Yeah. What is more important, and I'm not against the flag or the anthem, but what is more important, the fl American flag and the national anthem, which is just a song, 
uh, or a piece of cloth, is that more important than the human lives that the anthem and the uh, flag represent? No. Secondly, I wrote an article on our King Movement website about called Kaepernick 101. And it was about what Christians can learn from Colin Kaepernick. Because I think he displays some very, uh, he's, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he displays some Christ-like values that we all should strive for. Number one, he showed courage. Um, because he, I thought, it, you know, a lot of people said, well, if he was starting, he would not have spoken up. He did this for attention. I actually thought the fact that he was on the bench and a second stringer when he took the stand was actually more courageous because he was expendable, as we see. If Colin Kaepernick was a superstar, if he was Russell Wilson, if he was Aaron Rodgers, if he was LeBron James or some Kyrie Irving, somebody like that, he could, he could kneel. He could sit and nobody would say a word because they are not – you can't find another LeBron James. You can't find another Russell Wilson. You need them. Colin Kaepernick is not doing this for himself. People are saying, you know, even Christians, what's he got to complain about? He's wealthy. He's made millions of dollars playing a game. You know, he's from the suburbs. He's upper class. You know, what's he complaining about? Precisely. This is a dude who, who could just sit back and chill and say, yo, I got mine. I'm good. But he is actually saying... He's going, giving up his benefits and all the blessings that he had, the material wealth that he had for the downtrodden. Isn't that what God has done? Jesus was chilling up in heaven. It was all good for Jesus, right? He's, he's fine. But he came down to earth and suffered pain and torment and loss for us, for the downtrodden, if you will. Isn't that what Moses did? You know, Moses was chilling in the, you know, the Pharaoh's uh, temple and, and castle. And, and you know, he had it all going for him. And he gave it up to fight and join the downtrodden. So Christians should not have that viewpoint. We should be saying, man, what a great move this guy is doing. He's being selfless. He's putting the well-being and concerns of others above his own concerns. And that's what we should be doing. If I was in that position, if I had, say I was related to Tamir Rice, I would want somebody fighting on my behalf. Yeah. I would want somebody trying to keep this in the public sphere and keep people reminding people that these things need to stop happening. And that's what Colin Kaepernick's doing. He's doing unto others as he will want done unto him. So I think that we can learn that selflessness as well from Colin Kaepernick. No, that's awesome, man. You know, it's interesting that we're we're we're, we're talking about and getting Christian principles from someone who who oh, seeing someone display that who may not even be a believer, and then you know he received this uh, award from Muhammad Ali, uh, who who clearly wasn't a Christian either, uh, but displayed some courage, and and now he's honored for the the courage that he displayed. You know, I, I love that distinction because, you know, there's a lot of talk about Black Lives Matter. And me as a Christian, I agree with the sentiment, but I don't agree with everything for, of the organization. Uh, the, yes, sen the sentiment, the, yeah, the sentiment I can affirm uh, that Black Lives do matter. And if they matter, they must matter in the womb and they matter outside of the womb. 
Um, but I do not agree with the organization. In fact, the organization wants nothing to do with the church. Uh, but but that, that's a great segue, because during Muhammad Ali's time when he took that stance, you also saw a rise in uh, people, in particular black and brown people, uh, joining the Nation of Islam as a result of the silence of evangelicals on these social issues. And so now we're seeing some of that now where where, Christ, uh, where Christians are perceived as either weak or not even caring. And so people are going to things like Kemet or to Hebrew Israelites. They're walking away from the Christian faith. Can you talk about how the silence and things like that um, actually uh, serves as a means of lostness when we don't talk about things like that and how Christians should engage in discussions like this? Yeah, I think it goes along with what we were saying earlier about bringing the full gospel to the issues. You know, Martin Luther King uh, certainly wasn't a perfect man, but he was he brought the gospel to bear on so many issues that evangelical Christians didn't, you know, economic empowerment, uh, fighting for the poor, you know, the poor people's campaign and things like that. Um, so I do think that the Christian church gets a bad rap uh, within the black community. You know, you'll hear people say the, the nation of Islam has done more for black people than the Christian church, which is, is actually That's laughable. laughable. Yeah. It is laughable. <laughs> like, it is ridiculous. I mean, the nation of Islam today doesn't even have very many businesses. There are individual churches that have close to as many, if not more, businesses than the entire nation of Islam. You know, the, it was the Christian church and the civil rights movement that got this legislation changed. Absolutely. That African Americans have benefited from today. And while I value a lot of the things Malcolm X said and some of the things the nation of Islam did, they didn't get laws changed. You know, and they, even when, you know, they, they like to say, you know, Christians were turning the other cheek. The Nation of Islam did the same thing. You know, when they had members of their community get beat down by the cops, they didn't do anything. They didn't revolt. That was one of the things that frustrated Malcolm X. Was like he was ready to to, you know, practice what they were preaching and Elijah Muhammad kept him from doing it. You know, so um Kemet, the Hebrew Israelites, you know, they're not they're not addressing these issues any uh not nearly to the to the extent that the Christian churches are. And, um, you know, we could go back in history, you know, and talk about all the freedom fighters who have done so much mm -hmm. for the African-American community yeah. who were Christians. You know, Frederick Douglass, Henry, uh, Henry Highland Garnett, Harriet Tubman, uh, Marcus Garvey, who's one of the, the, the patron saints of the black nationalist movement was yeah. a Christian and you can look in his writings yeah. and it, yeah. And it wasn't because he, you know, didn't, he didn't know about other religions. One of his mentors was a Muslim, you know, so he knew about Islam and other religions. He was just a man that was committed to Jesus Christ and understood the blessing of grace. And so um, it's a misnomer to say that the church hasn't done anything, but the groups you mentioned, what they do that attracts black men uh, is that they unashamedly, unabashedly address the issues facing black men. They speak 
in no uncertain terms, specifically to black men. That's their number one target audience. It's not black women. It's not black children. It's not whites or people of other races. It is black men because they believe that if you strengthen the man, then you will strengthen the family and strengthen the people, which I actually agree with that. And the black church, we know that some of our churches, uh, I'm generalizing, but some of them are very effeminate, you know, or, or they, they appeal more to women and they're overwhelmingly women, have women members in them. Um, they will reach out to all people of all races, including black men. But these groups you mentioned, these fringe groups, they reach out specifically to black men. And that is one of the things that appeals to black men and draws them to those groups. But um, so I think if there's anything that church could learn from those groups, it, it would be that one, as I said, bring the gospel to bear on all issues of life. Right. Yeah. Uh, and two, uh, we need to address these issues that are pertinent to black men, not to, that we don't address the issues of others, right. but we really need to reach out specifically to black men because that's going to help, help black people and America as a whole. If we can, you know, help save some of these men and get them uh, in a, on a productive path rather than on a destructive path, it'll benefit people of all races uh, and particularly African-Americans. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's what I wanted to bring. That's why I wanted to bring that up because I think we're missing the fact that silence on these issues actually contribute to lostness. Like so yeah. souls are actually at stake. So social justice is an apologetic. I always, I'm clear. Social justice isn't the gospel, uh, but it is an outpouring of it that if you are yes. saved, then you care about issues of justice. And what some of these 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 mis, uh, mystic cults, what they're doing is they're playing on evangelical silence. They're playing on the politicizing of issues that actually have to do with the Imago Dei and not the left or the right or Fox News or MSNBC. And we're literally losing people. And so in particular, yeah. many black and brown people. And so when our white brothers and sisters are silent, they don't realize that they're actually contributing to lostness and that they need to speak out on these issues. And there are also these groups, the Hebrew Israelites, Kemet, the Nation of Islam, they're also playing on um, the whitewashing of history. Mm. Um, you know, whites portraying Jesus as white when he definitely wasn't white. There's no question about it. <laughs> Anybody who knows a you little You're going to start something, Chris. You're going to start something, Chris. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, it's just undeniable. And, and all of the biblical characters have been painted as white and portrayed as white. And it's not true. And so a lot of these groups, that's all they have to say. It's, you, it's the white man's religion. Or Jesus, you know, y'all, you know, he was, they're playing off of all of those falsehoods. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and so that is another thing that they're playing off of. And I'm not saying you got to go paint Jesus with an Afro, but, you know, I, I, I'm one that feels we don't necessarily need any images of Jesus, you know, up. Yeah, uh, Thomas Oden in his book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, you know, he talks about Adolf von Harnack pretty much whitewashing history and wanting yeah. to ignore 
the black and brown uh, contribution to the faith. And, and really, I mean, if we're honest, whites are the minority in the Bible. That's just that's no, just yeah, no that's question. just a scriptural reality. Uh, you you probably get Luke, um, you know Luke the physician, uh, but when you yeah. look at it, just most of these most of these people were Middle Eastern. They were African. John Mark was African. He was a Cyrenian Jew, the yeah. Ethiopian eunuch, founded uh, credited with founding the Coptic Church. Moses certainly wasn't white. Paul certainly wasn't white. And so Nimrod wasn't white. David wasn't white. When you when you just get yeah, it, you can go on and yeah, on. Yeah, you can yeah. go on and on. You you know, but um, you know, historically we've seen they've been comfortable painting all these guys white. And then when you bring that up, they say race doesn't matter. Uh, exactly. <laughs> how, how come exactly. race doesn't matter when you've already and, and the same white? people? A lot of them will get upset if there's a play and Jesus is portrayed as black. I mean, mm. we've seen those read yeah. articles about that where somebody black is playing Jesus and whites are People upset. Walk out. Race, yeah, I thought race didn't matter. You know, um, to your point, uh, African nations like Ethiopia, Egypt, Ham, Cush, etc., mm. are mentioned over a thousand times in the Old Testament. Uh, European nations, Rome, Greece, they're mentioned less than 50 in the Old Testament. You know, so and, and then what's interesting, too, because um, a lot of the groups you had mentioned, the black fringe groups that you had mentioned, they will um, try to talk about how whites, you know, Christ, Af black people were made Christians in slavery. And we didn't know anything about Christianity until the Atlantic slave trade and slavery here in America. When act in actuality, you look in the Bible, the, the first people to bring the gospel to Europe, to the Greeks. Africans in Acts chapter 11, because remember the Jews with Peter and those guys, they weren't sure they wanted to bring the gospel to the Europeans, you know, and the Gentiles, and they were questioning. Now, Peter did speak to Cornelius in that chapter. Right, Acts, yeah, Acts 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the next chapter, so he wouldn't have been the first, but in the next chapter, Acts chapter 11, men of the Bible says men of Cyprus and Cyrene, as you mentioned, those were territories in Northern Africa. Yep. They went to the Greeks and preached, the Bible says they preached Jesus to them. Mm -hmm. So when the other, when the Jews were questioning, should we bring it to them? These Africans said, we're going to preach Jesus to them. And as you know, Acts chapter 13, mm -hmm. two of the three men that laid hands on the apostle Paul, Paul and sent him out to the Gentiles were Africans, Simon called Niger okay. and Lucius of Cyrene. Chris, so, you in the book, doc. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that when when I first became a Christian, my brother, who um, I witnessed to, he was at Howard University in D.C. Mm -hmm. And a few months after I became a Christian and witnessed to him, he actually joined the Nation of Islam. Wow. And so he was really challenging me. He and one of my best friends did the same thing. And they kept challenging me on, you know, as the white man's religion and this and that. And you and Uncle Tom, and you know, we just Christians because we were enslaved yeah. and all that. So I stood up on my faith. At that time, all I knew was Jesus. And I was like, Jesus ain't no racist. I know Jesus wasn't against yeah. black people. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's all I can say. Nothing else. Jesus loves me. And but then I began to study and learn about blacks in the Bible and things like that. And I used to teach seminars on that. So um yeah, it, it's it's something that I've studied intently. And I think we we need to not just blacks, but people of all races because right. I feel like uh 
if whites knew black history, that they would have a better perspective yeah. on the way things are right now. I do think there are some, I'm not, I'm not saying no, I'm not even saying most maybe, but uh, some whites who they think black people are fortunate to be in America. And they look and say, you know what, if we didn't bring you over here, you would still be in Africa and starving, living in huts and all of that. And they may, they, they not made, they do admit slavery was wrong. It was brutal. We're not saying that was right. But at the end of the day, you were fortunate that you're over here. So things aren't as good as they could be. You're right. They're not, there's still racism and all this, but you got it better than you would have if we hadn't brought you over. I, I think even subconsciously, some people feel that way. Right. And that may be why when they see these injustices take place, they don't really feel moved to speak out on it or do anything because they, they feel like we're kind of fortunate. And I would say this, at you know the beginning of the Atlantic slave trade, the, the 15th century, the 16th century, Africa was as developed as Europe was, you know? And of course we know that Christianity was in Africa more uh, several hundred over a thousand, over yeah, a thousand yeah, years before, before the, slave. the Atlantic slave trade. But if you give Africa, if you give Nigeria or Ghana 300 years of free labor, <laughs> They would be very wealthy and developed just like America is today. Yeah. Because America's wealth was built on the black of slaves in the tobacco fields, the sugar fields, the rice fields, and the, the cotton, cotton fields. fields. Yeah. Give that to Af to Nigeria and they would because there's obviously all the natural resources over there. Yeah. They would be in the same position in a superpower just like America. So I think if people had a better understanding of true history then I think they'd have a better uh, perspective on race relations today. Well, Chris, thank you so much, man. It's been great, man. You, uh, you're a scholar, doc. I love, love how the, <laughs> the scripture references the things you read, man. It's been great having you on the urban perspective, man. Just any last words for our viewers before we uh, sign off. I was, I visited the national uh, museum of African-American history and culture in Washington, DC. And there are others, the national civil rights museum in Memphis, and other museums that kind of, you know, show this, but I don't know if any does it better than the one in DC that just opened a few years ago. All American school children should go, that should be a mandatory field trip. Yes. Because it shows you the, the way the wealth of this country was built on slavery. And it shows you the hardships that African Americans have gone through and have had to fight against. And it will give you a proper perspective on why the situation is like it is today. In the middle of the 19th century, there was something called the Homestead Act, when whites were literally given 270 million acres of land west of the Mississippi for free. For free. That's affirmative action for whites. Reparations, you know, the blacks were supposed to get 40 acres and a mule. They never got it, of course. You know who did get reparations? The slave owners. They gave slave owners $300 for every slave that you lost. When, when slavery was outlawed, if you had five slaves, they gave you $1,500 because as reparations. 
didn't give them to the slaves, but gave them to the slave owners. We could go up into the 1930s with the Federal Housing Authority and how they literally created the white suburbs, the GI Bill, yep. how it was racistly enforced so that blacks only only 98% of the benefits of the GI Bill were given to whites. These things put them so far ahead of us. And that, that's affirmative action. Those are give, those are free gifts. Those are handouts, you know? And then when you finally did have affirmative action for blacks, it was so watered down and it included so many other people, including white women. Yep. And all the studies show white women have benefited from affirmative action more than blacks. And nine times out of 10, more than that, the white woman is married to what? A white man. So the white family has actually benefited more from affirmative action than black people have. And when you understand history in truth, and it's not whitewashed, I'm not saying blackwash it, I'm saying just look at it objectively, then you'll understand why black people feel the way they feel, why some of our people are in dire straits and holding on for dear life. Not to say some of us aren't making bad decisions and mistakes, but everybody's making bad decisions and mistakes. Right. Just look at Hollywood, look at all the sexual harassment, look yeah. at the government, look at the politicians. We've had people in the White House, we have people in the White House now that have made very immoral moves and decisions. And so you can't just punish people, say, oh, they did something wrong, they deserve it. You know, so I think it, if we're going to have true rec racial reconciliation in the church where I'm most concerned about it, then we have to have a true understanding of history. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. That's awesome. Man. I, I love I love I love the connection there. And uh, I think of it this way. I, I'm reminded of something uh, my, my buddy Show Baraka said, and he was referencing the fruit of the spirit. I'm sorry. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. Uh, but many of our white brothers and sisters have added one, and they added patriotism. Uh, <laughs> patriotism, patriotism is not a fruit of the spirit. And, no, or, and no. legislation does not change the heart. And so the Emancipation Proclamation did not change the hearts of how white people saw us. And the Civil Rights Act did not change the hearts of how white people saw us. And so if we're really going to be authentic, we got to confront these issues. Yeah. We got to repent. We got to yeah. repent. And repent is yeah. not just, I'm sorry. It's a verb. There's a change of direction. And we got to turn to the Lord and then turn back to each other and be able to say, hey, let's, uh, let's move forward. Let's move forward. Because based on Ephesians 2, God has created a people from all people. So well, this isn't to Amen. distance ourselves from our white brothers and sisters. It's Amen. to say, hey, we got to be real about how what happened still affects us today. So if we care Amen. about church history, we also got to care about racial history because it still affects us today. Amen. Thank you so Amen. much. Thank you so much. This has been the Urban Perspective. I love you. God bless you. Peace. Oh.